I started trading during class. So it actually took me five years to graduate rather than the regular four years, millions or even billions of dollars stored in nothing but your head. The worst thing a trader can have early on is success. I don't know how or what I'm going to do with this asset, but I want to be involved in some shape or form. It's you versus you versus the market. I bought it at 850, it went up to 1,000. I thought I was a genius. The market will bite you back in the butt. Welcome to Cointelegraph's Crypto Trading Secrets Podcast. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, BJ Pyrus. This episode's guest is Zoran Cole. Zorin is a crypto trader going by the handle Captain underscore Cole one on Twitter. Zorin first got involved in crypto in 2013, didn't really dive into trading until 2015 while studying at Cornell University. He mainly looks to technical analysis for his trading. Okay, without further ado, here's Zorin Cole. Hey Zorin, thanks for jumping on the show. Hey BJ, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. I pronounced your name right, right? Yep, you got it. Do you get a mispronunciations a lot with that? I do a bunch. So sometimes I just go by Cole, sometimes by Z. Uh, I'm indifferent. Gotcha. Well, it's great to have you on. So the show typically has three segments. The first one is called Finding the Bottom, in which I ask guests what they think about Bitcoin's price amid the bear market. So far in 2023, Bitcoin's price has moved up from near the mid to upper $16,000 range to up past $25,000, although its price has since moved back downward a bit according to Cointelegraph's Bitcoin price index chart. So from a macro longer term view, what's your opinion on Bitcoin's price taking into account the last few months and the months ahead? Yeah, so you know, we started off the year very bullishly and I've kind of been under the impression ever since the whole FTX debacle that we're entering this echo bubble phase. It's a kind of a buzzword that's been on Twitter a bunch, but uh, to me, all it really means is that when you have a bubble expansion, right? Like we had in 2021 and that eventually popped in November, um, we had a year of relentless selling, right? And we kind of got to this FTX debacle. Prices came down to 15000 After the things kind of bottom out, all the bodies kind of float to the surface. We enter this phase called an echo bubble. And all an echo bubble, in my opinion, is basically a lower high from a macro standpoint. So I'm not in the camp like we had in 2019 where we went from 3K to 13, 14K. I'm in the camp that we're going to be in a larger range for the remainder of this year going into the halving event. So just to clarify, I'm a big believer in Bitcoin uh, cycle theory, which is kind of guided and propelled forward by the halvening event. And I think we're about 300, 400 plus days away from that. And price usually tends to go up leading into that event. So, you know, we had this great start to from beginning of the year in January. Up until now, I went to 25,000. So I'm still in the camp that we are still in an echo bubble. Prices have not topped yet. Now, as far as how high I think Bitcoin can go um, within the next, you know, quarter or second quarter, whatever the case may be, I want to say it's going to be between twenty-eight to thirty-one thousand. That's kind of my target for this quote-unquote echo bubble, and the reason being is that I don't think we'll get to like in twenty nineteen where we went from three to fourteen k, and that was about a sixty-one point eight percent Fibonacci retracement. I think here we're going to be a little lower. So my target right now is around 30K. Um, we have a CME gap at 28K and that's, I'm a technical trader. So that's kind of the area I'm looking to kind of de-risk a lot of my margin positions. And the prices you mentioned there, you're talking about quarter one or quarter two of 2023, correct? Correct, yes. Yeah. So I don't think this echo bubble will play out longer than, let's say, end of the second quarter. Gotcha. So you touched on this a little bit, but what's your opinion on where you think Bitcoin's price might be in terms of the bear market? Do you think Bitcoin is still in a bear market? 
Yeah, so it's interesting when you ask that because, you know, a bear market to me um, and a bull market, they're all really just a market at the end of the day. We had a year of relentless selling and now we're finally getting some sort of bounce, so to speak. So from the cycle theory point standpoint, I kind of think that we're exiting the bear market and entering a long year accumulation phase. If we go to like the monthly and weekly charts, we're looking at like this giant range, let's call it 16,000 to 25,000 pre-FTX. So I think we're still going to stay within that range. I just think we're going to deviate above it up until 28 to 31,000. So do you think Bitcoin's bottomed already? It's an interesting question, right? Because from the technical standpoint, I see the argument for the bottom. From the Bitcoin cycle theory standpoint, I can argue that it is the bottom. However, I do have to take into account for a lot of macro indicators and such that kind of make me cautious because I don't know what the global markets are going to do, if the dollar is going to rip up, etc. So from a Bitcoin cycle theory standpoint, yes, I think the bottom's in. But do I think we can revisit the lows to you know, 17,000, 18,000? Absolutely. Gotcha. And then do you want to just dive into that a little bit more about where if you think Bitcoin is still in a bear market or not? Yeah, so I think it's exiting the bear market, to be uh, clear. I don't think we're going to see relentless selling going into the future, but I do think that we can expect a bunch of chop and range-bound behavior. But in terms of like you know the exact bottom, you could argue that the FTX debacle kind of signified capitulation. And in every Bitcoin bubble, we tend to see some sort of capitulation event, whether that's 3K, the COVID crash, the 4K, etc. So yeah, I do think in terms of price, Bitcoin most likely has bottomed. And I say that with probably like an 87% confidence. It's a very specific percentage. <laughs> yeah, just a gut feel that I can see something from the macro standpoint. If equities slid off and the NASDAQ, etc. went below certain key levels, we could see a black swan event like we saw during the COVID crash. But again, you can't really anticipate a black swan. So for all intensive purposes, yeah, I think Bitcoin has bottomed. Interesting. So what do you think impacted Bitcoin's price the most in 2022? I really think there's a lot of overhang from a lot of the funds and FTX exchange. So three arrows blowing up was one of the first indicators to me that prices were going lower just because when a fund liquidates, they have to sell their assets and their assets included Bitcoin. So I think there's a lot of forced selling that occurred just because of the way that funds were liquidated. And I think a lot of the price movement that we saw in 2022 was the forced sellers basically exiting the market at whatever price they could. What do you think has impacted Bitcoin's price the most so far in 2023? Yeah, so it's interesting because, you know, there have been murmurs that Binance was buying up a lot of the Bitcoin using their BUSD. I'm more in the camp that prices are rallying because they've been suppressed for so long, whether that's retail-driven, whether it's institutionally-driven, I don't know. But I do think that when, you know, if we're adhering to Bitcoin cycle theory, there is an inevitable lust for making it all back and the greed that comes with the previous bubble popping and people trying to basically claw back whatever money they lost over the last uh, 12 months in 2022. So to phrase it more simply, in 2023, I think the allure of making it back in one trade is kind of the reason that prices have propelled up since the beginning of the year. And do you think that will be true for the rest of 2023? No, not exactly, because I do expect a lot of range-bound behavior to occur. So all the buyers that were able to buy 15, 16, 17,000 are probably going to look to distribute somewhere in the upper 20,000s, lower 30,000. So I do think we're going to see quite a bit of chop going into the end of the year. Interesting. And you talk a lot, was it cycle theory you mentioned? Uh, Bitcoin cycle theory, basically driven by the halvening event. Gotcha, gotcha. What do you think about future possible Bitcoin cycles? Will the Bitcoin bull and bear cycles continue? 
Yes, but to a lesser magnitude than they have before, right? So I've been in the space since 2013, and I've seen a bunch of explosive exponential growth over the last several years, but I still believe that Bitcoin adheres to this four-year cycle just because it's driven by the supply and demand, mostly the supply being cut in half every four years on average. So how does Bitcoin's bear market this time compare to previous bear markets? So from a... I guess as a trader standpoint, it's been much more relentless in the selling just because we've had a lot more institutions enter the game in the last couple of years. And the way that Bitcoin traded back in 2013 to 2015 to you know the previous cycle of 20K at 2017 is much different than how it trades today. And I believe that has in large part because of the way institutions have entered the space and are trading with their algorithms, et cetera, um, and just pushing prices one way or another. Let's move into the next segment, which is trade secrets. Basically, just tell me about your background or as much as you're comfortable diving into. So I got into this space in 2013. I bought my first Bitcoin around 850 bucks right before Mt. Gox. And this was so I could basically buy a fake ID on the Silk Road. So that was kind of my entry point into crypto. My backstory is that I got into crypto. This was end of my senior year of high school saw that the price of Bitcoin was pretty volatile. I, mean, I bought it at 850, it went up to 1,000. I thought I was a genius. Uh, and then I saw it all came crashing down on me. So I was largely a holdler, H-O-D-L-E-R, uh, for the large part of from 2013 to 2015. And it wasn't until late 2015 that I kind of got this urge to quote-unquote make it all back and uh, figure out how to get back at the markets for you know the Mt. Gox bubble. From 2015, my uh, sophomore year in college, I started trading on derivatives exchanges and kind of dipping my feet into the whole idea of trading rather than just holding Bitcoin as an asset class. Bitcoin in general to me has always been this ingenious discovery or product of, you know, Satoshi, who it is, who they are, who might be behind it. But the point being was the idea that you could go across the world with millions or even billions of dollars stored in nothing but your head, right? Like remember your private key was very novel to me. And it excited me to the point where I thought that, you know, this is an asset I want to be into. I don't know how or what I'm going to do with this asset, but I want to be involved in some shape or form. So uh, my college experience, I studied hospitality with a minor in real estate and finance. But truth be told, I started trading during class. So it actually took me five years to graduate rather than the regular four years. I was just very full on into Bitcoin. I went to Cornell. So we had Professor Gunsur, who is, you know, I think now the president of Ava Labs, the AVAX chain. So I had a lot of resources to kind of dive my feet into the blockchain space. Unfortunately, I never majored in computer science. Um, if I go back in time, that would be the one way I would do it over is to learn computer science just because Cornell had such a flourishing computer science program and I would have learned how to code, et cetera, and would have been more deeply entwined in the, in the tech side of things. But uh, lo and behold, you know, I got into the space and basically trading my way up and kind of made a name for myself as being a trader. Fast forward the last five, six years, I've mostly just been trading for my own book. And so how would you describe your trading strategy? I classify myself as a discretionary swing trader. And the reason being is that for the lifestyle that I like to lead, which is having a routine and being able to go out and do things, I'm not so gung-ho about being behind a screen 24-7, although I can be. But at the same token, my strategies largely revolve around swing trading uh, directionally in terms of catching the meat of a trend. So I'm an Ichimoku trader by trade. And so you're mostly technical analysis based? Correct, yes. Does that change ever or do you ever look for other things other than just technical analysis? Yeah, so largely from 2015 to I want to say 2019, 2020, I was technical trading Ichimoku, which is a trending indicator that helps me capture about 70% of any given trend. 
But as Bitcoin stopped trading the way it used to from you know the 2015 to 2017 cycle, I had to learn how to adapt just because I realized my strategy was not working as well as I'd liked. I was capturing moves, but a lot of the times price would just chop around the range. Um, so I had to figure out what would be the next best thing. So that's kind of where I started researching and diving into liquidity. Um, and that's kind of where my trading has evolved to today. So my first system that I use to trade trends is Ichimoku. But when price is largely range bound, like it's been you know the last couple of weeks, that's when I pivot to a liquidity-based system that I call liquidity theory. Interesting. Do you want to go into the liquidity theory a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was trading on BitMEX um, in college, I realized that when price was kind of stuck in a range, the way price would move up or down was largely due in part to the liquidation of over-leveraged retail traders. I'd see this on a chart and I'd you know, see the BitMEX bot shout out liquidation of you know, one or two million at this price point. And I'd think to myself, well, who's buying at these prices and why are they getting liquidated for such large amounts of money? But then it made sense to me that in order for a larger trader participant in the space to kind of fill a position, let's say it's a nine, uh, 10 figure position, you need to engineer liquidity. Most oftentimes the way to engineer liquidity within a range is to quote unquote, sell below a support level, trigger a bunch of retail stops, cause liquidation cascade. And it's only at that point when you get these liquidation cascades that larger parties, quote unquote, whales are able to engineer and fill larger nine, 10 figure positions. I noticed this. And then over the last couple of years, I've kind of developed a system around this, how to anticipate these quote unquote uh, liquidity pools, as I call them, and then trade them to the upside or downside in relation to the price. And how did you learn all of this? So I'm self-taught completely. I was kind of just getting my feet wet in the markets. I learned by liquidating myself over and over again on uh, BitMEX back in the day. And it's just been a journey of self-discovery. I've looked at YouTube videos. I've uh, traded the markets for long enough that I've kind of built a system around my own experience. And I think largely due in part the fact that I'm a big advocate for journaling. So I try to journal every single trade and then make assessments, what I did well, what I did wrong, and then go back and refine. So I think it's just been the culmination of my ability to really be honest with myself and kind of see where I do well, see where I do poorly, and then kind of retroactively try to make adjustments. What has been the hardest part learning to trade for you? Definitely the mental aspect, right? So taking losses, I think, was the toughest part for me initially, just because um, I think the worst thing a trader can have early on is success, actually, because... If you're, you make a lot of money early on into your trading journey, you conflate luck with skill. And that's a deadly sin for a trader when they think that they know it all, but they've only been in the markets a few months. And all of a sudden, they start sizing up on trades. And then lo and behold, one day, the market will bite you back in the butt. I think the hardest, the mental aspect as a discretionary trader, so I'm a, you know, I'm a retail point and click. I don't have any algorithms. I do use tools. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm using the derivatives or margin exchanges UI to execute on my trades. So learning how to grapple with my own self, right? So as a discretionary trader, it's you versus you versus the market. And if you don't conquer yourself, you're going to have a tough time conquering the markets as well. So you touched on this a little bit, but it's a slightly different question. How did you figure out your edge? Hmm, that's a great question. So I think it was probably two or three years into my trading journey that I stumbled across a trader from the Forex markets named Chaos Trader 63. And he had this Ichimoku strategy called the edge to edge. And it seemed like it worked very well in the FX markets. So when I tried to apply it to Bitcoin, I was able to catch the 2018 bottom before the 2019 run up to 13,000 very early on. And I think that's what kind of made a name for myself on quote unquote crypto Twitter. So it was really just a serendipitous um, experience that trading a bunch and then finally finding a strategy, applying it to these markets, and it worked. 
And then I saw it continue to work over a longer period of time. So I think that's why I discovered my edge in trending markets. In terms of discovering my edge in you know, range-bound markets, that was also serendipitous because you know I had this theory of liquidity theory and it made a lot of sense, but it wasn't until I was approached by a company that actually does has a toolkit for actually identifying liquidity in real time, being able to actually piece together what I'm thinking about, but also seeing in real time. And that happened end of 2020. So that, I think that's when I discovered my edge in the range-bound markets. Interesting. Uh, what company is that? Uh, this is High Block Capital. Ah, interesting. Last part in this segment, what are your thoughts on trading psychology? As a discretionary trader, I think you need to consider yourself a superstar athlete. And you need to train yourself like a superstar athlete in order to be successful. And I'm only speaking about discretionary. I don't know what it takes to be an algorithmic trader when you have algorithms and uh, machine learning processes that help you improve your trading. But from a trading psychology standpoint, I'm a big fan of meditation. I think that's one of the key pieces of why I've been able to maintain my edge and maintain my profitability over the years because, again, it's you versus you versus the market. So if you're not in tune with yourself, you don't take care of your body, your mental health, your physical health, your spiritual health, um, you're trading with a disadvantage. So I think trading psychology plays a big role in a trader's ability to have longevity in the space. Everyone who enters the space as a trader, you know, makes a bunch of money during Bitcoin bull run. They think they're a genius, but most of them, unfortunately, end up giving it back, um, if not more, by the end of that cycle. And that's because they don't inherently understand themselves. They're just going with the market, which is fine. But at some point, the market turns against you and you need to learn how to take losses, how to you know, basically manage your risk. I think that's the overarching point. So trading psychology and risk management, I think, are the two primary points that need to be managed in order to be a successful trader. Moving into the next segment, the next segment is called The Next Bull Run. How will you know if Bitcoin moves into a bull market? What are you looking for that might give you confidence that it may have switched into a bull market? Again, bull markets and bear markets are very similar. They're just uptrends and downtrends. I think we're in a quote-unquote Bitcoin bull market right now. However, I don't think the magnitude and the euphoria and the just pure greed that we've seen over the last couple of years is back yet. How we'll know that we're back there is likely when you start seeing retail, mom and pop, your grandma, your barber, your you know Uber driver talking about Bitcoin again, that's probably a good indication that we're back, quote-unquote. But yeah, I really think that the Bitcoin bull market, how I'll know we're back is when we're trading probably back above 40,000, 50,000. Earlier on, you said, if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned that you don't think we're technically in a Bitcoin bear market, but we were transitioning. So are we kind of in a transitionary period or in your mind, is there just bull and bear? Yeah, exactly. So in, in my mind, there's four parts, right? There's a, there's a bull market, which is quote-unquote an uptrend. You have distribution, which is quote-unquote the top. Then you have the bear market, which is just a downtrend. And then you have this accumulation, which is the bottom, right? So I think we're transitioning out from the bottom into out of this accumulation phase into this uptrend, but I don't think we're necessarily out of this accumulation phase. So although we've had you know significant price appreciation over the last couple of months since the new year, um, I don't think we're necessarily in a full-blown bull market where everything is just straight up up only. And what are you looking for on Bitcoin's chart as you form your opinions? A lot of times I'm a technical trader, so I, I rely on market structure to kind of dictate where we are within the broader high time frame spectrum. As long as I'm seeing higher highs and higher lows on Bitcoin, um, you know, the low at 16,500 or whatever, that's like the higher low. Um, the higher high right now is 25,000. So as long as we stay within those parameters, I think we're in accumulation. If we start going higher, then I will reconsider and potentially think we're in a bull market. But again, in my mind, this is still an echo bubble. We're within a larger $10,000 range from $15,000 to $25,000. 
If we deviate to 28,000, and then go back into the range below 25,000, I'll think my thesis that we're in the echo bubble will be validated. But if we start trading significantly higher in the 30,000s, and we keep making higher lows above 30,000s, then I'll reconsider and think that we're in a full-blown bull market. Interesting. I think you sort of answered this in the last question, but how will you look to try and figure out the timeline of Bitcoin's next bull run? Yeah, so that's largely based around the halving event. We usually, price on the Bitcoin usually appreciates going into, I want to say, about 270 days before that event, leading up to the event. And then once the event happens, it's usually like, a very dull period where price just chops around. I'm really just basing it on time. I want to say a year and a half from now, we'll most likely already be in a bull, uh, Bitcoin bull run. Interesting. And uh, you mostly trade crypto, correct? Correct. I only trade crypto. I don't trade equities or anything else. Gotcha. What role do you think Bitcoin plays as an asset? Why do you think people are willing to invest in it? Yes, the belief to me is that Bitcoin is really just an alternative asset class, whether that's for institutions, for hedge fund managers, for your mom and pop shops, whoever the case may be. It's an alternative asset class similar to gold, similar to other uh, risk-on assets, and it tends to trade like a risk-on asset. So I think it's really just another checklist for fund managers, institutions to say, hey, we added this to our you know risk-adjusted returns. This is part of our portfolio now as a inflationary hedge, store of value, whatever the thesis may be, it's largely driven about the fact that there's a new asset class, it trades 24-7, 365, and it has more volatility than most markets. So do you think its role as an asset will ever change? As an alternative asset class, I think it'll stay that way. Now, if we want to argue that Bitcoin is digital gold, is it a store of value? I think that's fundamentally changing to this day, right? I think we have this whole new thesis that you can put uh, ordinal NFTs on Bitcoin blockchain now. Whether that holds water, I don't know. But I do think for the large part, and one of the reasons that I kind of entered the asset class was as a quote-unquote store of value. Do you think people might change how they view Bitcoin and why they might think it's valuable? I'd like to think it's going to continue evolving. A lot of the events that have happened over the last several years have changed my mind about Bitcoin in the sense that before it was just this risky asset that went up a tremendous amount, then the bubble would pop and then it would go down a tremendous amount. And it was just this, you know, quote-unquote Ponzi scheme that people were investing in making and losing lots of money. But as it gains more institutional adoption and funds are starting to trade it and even invest in it and hold it for long periods of time, you see uh, companies like MicroStrategy putting their treasury in it, right, taking big bets on Bitcoin. I think you will continue to evolve into what I can't say, but I do believe that the crypto landscape is still pretty nascent. I don't think we've hit critical mass in the way that it's adopted. But Bitcoin is, in my opinion, is not going to be, you know, the transactional currency of the future, but it will remain and serve as a hedge for traders and institutions alike. Interesting. Well, thank you. I think that that about wraps it up. Thank you so much for jumping on the show. That was a lot of uh, really awesome, concise answers. Awesome. I appreciate you having me. All right. Thanks for tuning in to Crypto Trading Secrets presented by Cointelegraph. We'll catch you next time. 